Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. An evening of jazz can be just what the doctor ordered. Join me, Meredith Michelle, with WJSU's Evening Jazz, 7 to 10 weeknights on MPB Music Radio. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Wednesday, October 11th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, is raising taxes okay if it means better Mississippi roads and bridges? Voters could decide if a state lawmaker's plan moves forward. Hear from Senator Dean Kirby on his plan. Then, some Mississippi students could complete their degree without going back to college. Find out how the new program could help grow Mississippi's educated workforce and state economy. A Mississippi dessert chef is vying for the title of best baker in America. Meet the sweetest chef of the South, Dwayne Ingram. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi voters could determine funding for the transportation infrastructure across the state. Republican Senator Dean Kirby of Pearl says his proposed plan would let Mississippians decide on raising taxes and fees to pay for renovations to roads and bridges. Senator Kirby's proposal would increase the gas tax by 1.5 percent, charge a fee of $2.50 for tires, that's $2.50, and impose a fee of $150 for electric cars and $7. $75 for hybrid vehicles. The state's crumbling infrastructure has been the topic of debate for officials since last year's legislative session. Last month, the Mississippi Department of Transportation reported more than 310 county bridges have been closed. Senator Kirby tells MPB's Desiree Frazier increasing the gas tax isn't enough. The proposed legislation is um, dealing with combustible engines or gas engines in automobiles or vehicles, and uh, it's also dealing with hybrids and electric cars. Obviously, the number one issue right now is infrastructure. Our highways and bridges are in desperate need of renovations and replacing, actually, a lot of them. And we have a lot of unfinished projects as well. Now, the reason I thought of this legislation is because I've been told by automobile manufacturing reps that uh, the gasoline engine is going to be something of, of the past in just a few years. And so we had a diminishing return with just a tax on gasoline. And so what I thought we needed to do is find out what is the future and plan for the future. And the future at this time 
their thing is the electric vehicles and also the hybrid vehicles, but eventually be all electric. So if that's true, then the only people buying gas will be the ones that can't afford new cars and the antiques. And I don't think this our highways can be supported based on that. So therefore, I put a, this proposed bill as a fee on uh, on those vehicles. And some other states I found out have done this already. Uh, it's not something new. Uh, it's just new to our state. So uh, it's it's really just a shift over a period of time. Now it does have a one one and a half cent tax for gasoline in it. You know, that's in there. But the good part about this bill, and here's the curve of what we're talking about, all the legislature's going to do is give, uh, ask the commissioners by district of the three district, three commissioners, highway commissioners, we're going to ask them to give us the projects that need to be worked on and completed. They'll be furnished before, to the people before they vote. They'll know what their, the people will make the decision as to whether or not they want to those fees and taxes based on those projections. And yes, I know what some people are going to be thinking immediately when hearing this, well, what if our district does it and the others don't, then they're not going to have the fee and they're not going to have the one and a half cent. They're also going to have potholes and unsafe bridges probably. So, uh, you know, it just gets down to if the people want to make, well, it's really not much of a sacrifice because they're already paying it now. Well, Senator Kirby, we thank you for your time. Well, you're quite welcome. The last time the gas tax was raised was in 1987. Democratic Senator Willie Simmons of Cleveland chairs the Transportation Committee. He tells MPB's Desiree Frazier he's willing to review the plan. Senator Kirby uh, spoke to me about his proposal. One part of it is similar to what they did in Georgia with a referendum that will allow the citizens by transportation district to vote on whether they wanted to increase the uh, user fee on fuel and then apply that money to projects that would be identified by the Department of Transportation as to what project they would work on in each district. How do you feel about it? What do you think? Well, you recall, uh, Reed, back in 2012, Lieutenant Governor Tate Reed appointed me to chair a Senate special committee, and we looked at our highway system and found that the funding was antiquated outdated, and we needed to generate new money. Since that time, we have constantly looked at the bridge and road situation and have found that they are continuing to deteriorate. So as chairman of highways and transportation, anytime a member of the legislative body, and in particular the Senate, and a member of the Highways and Transportation Committee come forward with a proposal, I'm open to looking at it and trying to be supportive of it because we need so many dollars to be put into our infrastructure system to maintain the roads and bridges that we have. The more members we have who are supportive of various proposals, I think it moves us closer to getting something passed in the future. Senator Simmons, thank you for speaking with us about this important issue. Thank you, Desiree. Coming up, some Mississippi students could complete their degree without going back to college. Find out how the new program could help grow Mississippi's educated workforce and state economy. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The Health Minute is underwritten by Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Mississippi. Live healthy on the go with the My Blue mobile app available on the Apple App Store or Google Play. More information at bcbsms.com. It's good to be blue. 
This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. More Mississippians could take home their college degrees and compete for better-paying jobs, thanks to a statewide initiative. Started by the Mississippi Institutions of Higher Learning, the Complete to Compete program could help both the educated workforce and the state economy grow. C2C provides students an opportunity to see how close they are to completing degree requirements. Mississippi Public Universities, the Mississippi Community College Board, and the Mississippi Association of Community and junior colleges are partners in the effort. They're targeting adult students by providing information and resources to those who have completed some college but whose requirements fell short of earning a degree. The State Department of Human Services is supporting the project by providing grant funding for low-income Mississippians. Casey Turnage is Director of Policy and P20 Initiatives at IHL. Stephanie Bullock is Director of the Complete to Compete program. They tell us more about the program. Complete to Compete is a statewide initiative for adult learners that have some college credit but did not finish their degrees. We are encouraging them to come back and finish their degrees. Do you have hundreds that fit that category? Thousands that fit that category? How many? In the end, what we have is about 85,000 in the state of Mississippi that we are targeting that have some college but no degree and about 32,000 of those have, well, we, we believe, enough credits to possibly get their degree without additional coursework. Tell me how it's possible that someone actually earned their credits, could get their diploma, and didn't. Okay. Um, so we have the reverse transfer agreement between the community colleges and the universities, and that went into place in fall 2013. What that is is if a student attended a community college and they transfer to a university without earning their associate's degree, once they reach 60 or 62 hours, we notify them that they may be eligible for a reverse transfer degree. And we were only reaching out to currently enrolled students. So with Complete to Compete, we've gone back 15 years in time to identify those people who may have earned an associate's degree but didn't complete it because they transferred to a university. So it was a retroactive program. Yes. So that's the reverse transfer associate degree that uh, we are reaching out to people to see if they can complete. But we also have uh, some people that are eligible or may be eligible for a bachelor's degree without additional coursework. And that's because prior to 2005, our universities did not have a policy in place that limited the number of hours that a bachelor's degree could require. And now they are limited to between 120 and 124. And we have about... 2,400 people that have more than 124 hours earned. And, you know, they haven't had a degree audit, so we can't determine if they've met all of the requirements for a degree until they actually opt into the program. How are you contacting them? Do you have some huge database? We do. We have two systems at the state level, both the community college and um, the universities. And for the first time ever, we pulled an unprecedented amount of data together of past non-completers in the state. We went back 15 years. We then vetted that down through um, several different processes to get down to the 85,000 students. 
and we have a direct personalized marketing campaign that will consist of a mailer that has a personalized URL that they will go to where we will pre-populate the information we already have on them but give them the ability to update it or correct it for us because some of this data is 15 years old. Mm -hmm. Um, And then for those that don't respond to the mailer, we will then send an email if we have an email address to try to get a response out of them. And then for those that still have not responded later on, we will do a calling campaign for those that we have phone numbers for. We had about 2,500 applications prior to any of this direct marketing of people that have actually already opted into the program. What does it take? Let's say someone finds out or thinks they have enough hours already to get their diploma. What do they do? What is the process like to actually get it in hand? Once they opt into the program, whether they get a direct marketed piece or they've just heard about it and went on to our website and filled out the application, a Complete to Compete coach at that specific institution they choose will contact them and then walk them through the process of a degree audit. Once they decide that they have met all of the requirements for a degree, then they will graduate and get that degree. Casey, as the Director of Policy and Strategic Initiatives, are you involved in moving people from that degree into a job that requires a degree? We are not responsible for that, but we surely hope to help that that's going to be the ultimate outcome, that someone who was not previously eligible for a job with a degree, that they now will be. Now, what does someone have to do? Someone listening saying, well, I went to school 10 years ago and I didn't get my degree. Go to our website, and that is msc2c.org. And it's the number two. It's a numeral. The number two. Anything else you want to add that people uh, need to know about this program? We do have some money set aside for tuition assistant grants for those who may have the barrier of, well, I owe an institution some money. Those grants are going to be set aside for those people who need that financial assistance. Even those that may not owe an institution but just need a little help, um, we will have that money available to them as well. Those are going to be around $500 per scholarship. And if they're not used for owing an institution, they will be used as last dollar scholarships. Casey Turnage is the Director of Policy and Strategic Initiatives, and Stephanie Bullock is the Project Coordinator of the Complete to Compete program. Thank you both for coming in. Thank you. Thank you. Deborah Harris of Grenada is the first graduate through the program after receiving her bachelor's from the University of Mississippi. She tells us how she learned about the program. Well, actually, I heard about it on your show. I listened to the radio every morning, and uh, I heard you say that there is a new program complete to compete. Immediately, I got my phone. I looked it up. And there was a little short form to fill out. I filled out the form. And a few days later, I got an email that uh, I was going to be assigned a counselor. And I believe the next day after that, I got an email from my counselor at Ole Miss. And I uh, said that they were going to, you know, be looking through my records. And then about a week after that, I got a call on Friday. She said, we think you may have earned a degree. A couple of hours after that, I got another call, and they said, we've uh, audited your records, and you have enough credits. We can award you a degree. 
you won't have to take any more class. Did you about fall off your chair? <laughs> yes. <laughs> when were you a student at Ole Miss? Originally, I went straight out of high school, which was back in the 70s, 1977. And I did not finish. I kind of got lost. After that, I looked for a job. I couldn't find a job in town. And, and I joined the military. I went to the Navy. In 1997, I decided I was going to go back because I always felt like a failure because I didn't finish. I was commuting from Grenada to Oxford to go to Ole Miss, and I got sick. I developed a real bad case of arthritis and some other things, and my mother also got sick, and so I just couldn't continue, so I had to stop again. At that point, did you uh, know how many credits you were shy of a diploma? Not really. I knew that it should not have been that many. I think I had called some people, and when I found out that they had a new degree called General Studies, I think I had called to see if I could find out how many more credits I would need to actually get a degree. And they said, well, well, we would have to see, you'd have to apply and be admitted, and then we would, you know, go through everything once you get a counselor. Many problems, and I didn't really follow up on that right then, but... um so I, I really wasn't sure. I knew well. I knew I had way more credit than it would take for just a degree, but I didn't know if I had enough of the right credit. You have a degree now in what subject? General studies, and my minors are English, computer science, and business administration. That's very well rounded. So having your degree now should really be a step up. Yeah, I think I will. It would give me more confidence and maybe uh, going to a different department. Or right now, I'm really thinking about what else I can be doing. Deborah Harris, congratulations. That is just wonderful for you that you don't have to pay for more credits and, and, uh, right. and drive back and forth to Oxford right. from Grenada. <laughs> Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. Two returning students at Alcorn State University are now eligible for graduation thanks to the program. Coming up, a Mississippi dessert chef is vying for the title of Best Baker in America. Meet the Swedish chef of the South, Dwayne Ingram. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo for Southern Remedy. Each Wednesday, we answer your calls on health issues of interest to you. They range from medical questions on kids, young adults, baby boomers, and seniors. Whatever you need to know. Join me for Southern Remedy this morning at 11 on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippi chef Dwayne Ingram could be the best baker in the nation. He's competing against other top culinary artists on the Food Network show Best Baker in America. The Oxford business owner has been featured in many of the network's cooking competitions while also having served up dishes at Oxford City Grocery and his own Sinfully Southern. Chef Ingram tells us about his journey and passion for baking. I have always enjoyed baking. Um, I would say since, you know, I, I was a kid, um, some of my first memories are, are, you know, baking cakes with my grandmother and pies with my mother, um, biscuits with my great-grandmother in the morning with fig jam. I mean, it's just, it's just been something that's been in my family for a long time. Can you explain what the difference is between baking and being a cook? Have you always had the interest in baking or do you cook as well? 
I would say the main difference um, is that baking is definitely it's a science. You know, I mean, it is basically chemistry class all over again. You're putting together <laughs> equations to come out with the end results. Um, as we're savory cooks tend to have a little bit more of a free hand. You know, um, they can get away with a few more things by adjusting recipes at the last minute, just kind of turn the temperature up if they need things to go faster. You know, we don't have all of those same freedoms inside the baking and pastry world. So, for instance, if I want to, you know, intensify the cinnamon flavor, adding an extra pinch of cinnamon may not be a big difference. But cream of tartar, on the other hand, that reacts a certain way when it's um, paired with a certain amount of protein or, or acid. So that extra pinch of cream of tartar can make a big difference. Same thing like with baking soda, baking powder. So, no, we don't typically do those things. Typically, we tend to figure out exactly what we want you know, the flavor profile to be. We'll have a little bit of room. What do you take the most pleasure from? Is it the actual baking? Is it presenting it? Is it watching someone enjoy it? I would have to say that I take pleasure from all of that. You know, inside the baking and pastry world, there's many facets. You know, people tend to hear pastry chef or baker and they just think that we do it all right um you know but there's a lot of people who for instance only bake bread there's a lot of people who only decorate and make cakes there are some people who only work with chocolate and all of that is inside the baking and pastry world well um my favorite um aspect i guess you say specialty in in our field is plating desserts that's what most of my experience has been um is actually working as a what i would call a restaurant pastry chef um and that gives me the ability to be able to take and, and create multiple components and put them together to present them in hopefully a very beautiful and, and, and appealing way. But at the end of the day, I think anybody, whether it's a pastry chef or whether it's a cook, um, a savory chef, um, we all hope that someone will sit back and enjoy the food that we present. And I know for me it's a really big thing because most of what I do is usually tap from some form of memory that I have had as a child or something that I've eaten along the way and was really, you know, moved by and I'm trying to recreate that vision and that experience somehow for the for the, the diner to experience. So whenever you manage to hit that right on the nose, I don't think there's anything more rewarding. What is the best tasting thing you make? I really love to make ice creams. Um, I love I mean, custards in general, ice creams, creme brulees, puddings, um, mousses. Those are things that I enjoy to make the most. As for the best tasting thing I, I've made, it would probably be best to ask the, the people who've eaten my food that question. <laughs> um, you know, because you know how they say that beauty is in the eye of the beholder? Well, um, I also think that tastiness is in the mouth of the of the eater. <laughs> so, you know, there are some things that I've definitely created that I have loved personally that I would enjoy. But sometimes that doesn't always translate to the person eating it. But what I will say is that throughout my career, um, the one of the things I've probably had the most success with is my creme brulee. Right? People seem to really, really enjoy that. I very rarely get anyone that complains about a creme brulee that I make. Now let's talk about the Food Network. The Best Baker in America is not your first show or appearance on the Food Network, is it? No, ma'am, it's not. The very first um, show I ever did on the Food Network was called Cutthroat Kitchen. They were doing a specialty pastry episode of Cutthroat. It was called Alton and the Chocolate Factory. They brought in four pastry chefs to compete there, and every challenge had something to do with chocolate. Um, that was the first time I competed, and I was blessed enough to be able to come out on top of that. That was my first win, and so far my only win. <laughs> um, but from there, I went off to do a show called Spring Baking Championship. Doing that one, I had a really, really good run. I really enjoyed myself on that one, and I made it to the finale but unfortunately, I came up a little bit short. And then because I did well on Cutthroat Kitchen the first time, they was doing what they called the Time Warp Tournament, where they were bringing back previous winners of Cutthroat Kitchen. So I got to go back and compete on there again. 
And now I have found myself lucky enough to be competing on Best Baker in America. On Best Baker in America, are you given assignments? Like, here's what you're going to make. You're going to make pastries today. You're going to make uh, flan tomorrow. Or how, how does it work exactly? We step on set, and the host is usually there with the challenge. There's no previous knowledge of any of that. So you, you just hope that whatever they throw at you in that moment, that you can figure out a game plan and get to moving. So basically, you know, each episode, is, is there's two challenges. One, what they call a skills challenge, and then the other one, a master challenge. In the first couple of episodes, what have the challenges involved? So on our first episode, um, the challenge was all about cake. So the very first skills challenge that episode was a pineapple upside down cake, which I was lucky enough to win that challenge. And then we went into a wedding cake for the master challenge. And that was a great experience as well. Then we moved into last week's challenge. And that one was all about meringue. So in the skills challenge, we were tasked with making two dozen macaroons. Um, and if anybody has ever made a macaroon, they can understand how temperamental those can be. And so um, that was definitely a test of skill there. And then the main challenge was our interpretation on a baked Alaska. And luckily enough, I was able to pull off one more win and secure myself a, a chance to compete again for week three. Well, we wish you the very best. Chef Dwayne Ingram is competing for Best Baker in America on the Food Network. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. And you can teach Chef Wayne Ingram, Dwayne Ingram, on Best Baker in America tonight at 9 o'clock. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs. At 9 o'clock, it's Fix It 101. At 10, it's Everyday Tech. And at 11, stay tuned for Southern Remedy. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition, only on MPB Think Radio. Support for MPB comes from the Woodward Hines Education Foundation, committed to helping more Mississippians obtain post-secondary credentials, college certificates, and degrees that lead to employment. More information about Woodward Hines Education Foundation at Woodward.